For Tuesday, May 11th, 2021, this is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, even after the pandemic is over, researchers think the coronavirus will stick around for a while. All evidence seems to point to the idea that SARS-CoV-2 is here to stay. And so in that sense, it will become endemic. Jenny Levine, who studies infectious disease dynamics at Emory University, joins me to discuss her modeling of the next phase of the pandemic that shows the future might not be so bleak. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. What happens when the coronavirus that's causing the pandemic becomes endemic? In a recent article in Science, researchers from Emory University, led by Jenny Levine, used modeling to predict a future that's not so different from our past. She's with me now to discuss that work and what the transition from pandemic to endemic might look like. Jenny, thanks for talking with me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I want to start just by talking about some terms that I think we'll use over the course of our conversation, pandemic and endemic. Walk me through what these two words actually mean. Yeah, absolutely. So pandemic is when something is new, a disease is new and spreading across the globe. So that's what makes it pandemic rather than, say, epidemic, is that it's it's spreading super, super widely. Um, so obviously we are in the middle of a pandemic. We have this new emerging coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, and it has spread all the way across the globe. Endemic is also a disease that may have spread globally or it may be somewhat more regional, but rather than being in an initial phase where you're getting a huge outbreak in a completely immunologically naive population, so people who've never had it before, in the endemic state, what you have instead is just kind of a fairly constant level of circulation of the pathogen. It might have seasonal fluctuations like influenza does or even like the endemic coronaviruses do. But basically, it's always with us and we don't see huge disease outbreaks. Can we go back and forth between these two states, a pandemic state and an endemic state, or is it always kind of a one-way street? So an infection, if we get a new virus that emerges in a population, it may cause a pandemic and without any particular change in the virus or any notable changes in the demographics of the human population, it can become endemic. 
And that's just sort of the natural process of a new pathogen invading the human population. So that's the transition from pandemic to endemic. For something to go from endemic back to pandemic, something would have to change. So things like that that could change would generally be that like a new variant arises that causes a huge outbreak and a lot of disease again. So it it was at this state where it was fairly steady state, endemic steady state. It was circulating but not causing a ton of disease. And then you could have a pathogen that a new version of it arises that then can spread much faster, maybe causes more disease. And so it could go back to being a pandemic. But in general, we expect more often to see something go from pandemic to endemic than endemic to pandemic. Talk to me about what that could look like for SARS-CoV-2. I know that there are certainly lots of variables that can affect this transition from one to the other, and we can get into those. But generally, what happens next with uh, SARS-CoV-2? All evidence seems to point to the idea that SARS-CoV-2 is here to stay. And so in that sense, it will become endemic. In fact, one might already say it is endemic, although I would say we're still in this initial pandemic outbreak. So that suggests it'll be with us in the long run. And at some point, it gets to a steady state where people keep transmitting it because there's enough people who are you know, susceptible enough that they'll get infected and they'll pass it on. They might not get very sick, but it will remain with us in the population and likely it will have seasonal fluctuations like a lot of other respiratory viruses do, but we won't be seeing these huge outbreaks anymore. Instead, we'll just be seeing kind of maybe a little bit like the endemic coronaviruses. You know, we get seasonal colds or like flu. We'll see what it turns into, but that each year... A bunch of people get it, a few people get sick from it. How do we know that? What are the signs that point us in the direction of of that being what happens next? Well, the fact that it seems to spread so well, it transmits very, very well, and it doesn't cause extremely severe disease in a lot of people that it spreads to. And all of that suggests it's going to be with us. We're not going to eradicate it. And so that suggests it will become endemic. So there's sort of two pieces to what I, if I were to break apart or unravel a little bit what I just said, there's both the, it will become endemic, meaning it will be with us and it will transmit at a relatively constant rate. And then also that it is reasonably likely to be mild in its endemic state. So it's clearly very severe in its pandemic state as we're seeing, you know, as we've seen in the past year and a half and we continue to see In Brazil, in India, there's a lot of, you know, a huge amount of excess deaths, overwhelmed hospitals. In the pandemic state, we're seeing a lot of severe disease. In the endemic state, it is likely that it will be relatively mild because people will have some amount of immunity, either from having gotten a first infection or from having gotten vaccinated, That will mean that while there'll always be people who are susceptible to it because that really, really strong transmission blocking immunity probably wanes with time and with antigenic distance, so with a somewhat different variant, it also seems reasonably likely based on evidence from its closest relatives, the other human coronaviruses, 
that will maintain some protection against severe disease. And what that means is it will keep circulating, it will be endemic, but people will have protection against it from having previously gotten infected or vaccinated. And maybe the last little wrinkle to that that is thus far very optimistic is that because it's very mild in children, even in a first infection right now, there is the possibility that in the future, the only people who are going to be getting primary infections, the only people who are getting infected for the first time are young kids in whom the disease is quite mild in general. And then older people, you know, teenagers, adults, even the elderly will have some protection against disease when they get reinfected from either vaccination or prior infection. So that could lead to this kind of mild endemic state. Maybe let's just lay out that kind of path. You, you mentioned India, which is being hit really hard by this pandemic right now. Whereas here in the U.S., vaccines have been rolling out for many months now, and we're seeing rising levels of uh, protection in this country. So what is the actual kind of path forward look like to get to that endemic state? The path to endemicity we are seeing right now, it's not a completely smooth one. That doesn't mean that it's not there in the long run. The mild endemic state still seems likely that in the long run it will be there. But there's a lot of things that we really need to be keeping track of in this transition time. And I think the biggest one really is what variants are arising and how much are they causing disease in two key groups. One group is young children, because like I said before, if young children continue to not get severe disease, then in the long-term endemic state, we can expect that this will probably not be that big a deal, that SARS-CoV-2 might be another cold-causing coronavirus, just like the endemic coronaviruses. So one thing is, do the new variants continue to be mild in young children? And then the other really important thing to know is, how severe is disease caused by variants in people with prior immunity? And we expect that that's going to vary with lots of things. That's going to vary with age. That's going to vary with whether the person got naturally infected or vaccinated, if they got vaccinated, what type of vaccine. So there's going to be a lot of those kind of bumps, I think, as new variants arise that have different amounts of disease severity and different what we call antigenic distances. They might, our prior immunity might be a little bit better or a little bit worse at preventing severe disease against them. In the long run, the prediction is even with all of these variants, so long as that with enough exposures to vaccination or natural infection, we do get this strong disease reducing immunity that there will still be this mild endemic state. And that seems really, really likely. The road there is certainly bumpy right now, and we don't quite know exactly how bumpy it's going to be. And I think keeping track of these things is super important. And of course, dealing with them as they arise in terms of dealing with the public health issues of making sure that there's treatment, you know, oxygen supplies, et cetera, for people as they're getting sick right now. Is there any kind of sense of time frame, how long it might take to make this transition? That's a great question. So I think our model suggests that if one infection or one 
round of vaccination, whether that's one or two doses, um, depending on the vaccine manufacturer, if one exposure of that kind provided long-lasting, disease-reducing immunity, which we have reasonable evidence that it did against the original strain, if that continued to be true, we really could be out of this, I think, in six months. So that's sort of the most optimistic scenario. I'm not super optimistic that that particular scenario is what's going to happen because we are seeing variants that seem to be, there's some suggestion that they may be more severe and or they may be escaping some amount of vaccine or infection-induced immunity. And that suggests to me it may be that we have another round. So maybe another season or so, a year of the pathogen getting closer to its steady state. So we're getting closer to our steady state of immunity. And as that happens, we, the human population, and as that happens, the virus is getting closer to its sort of steady state of what variants become the endemic variant. And that might take another year or so. I think that in that time, it may be that updated vaccines will be a really important tool. This is... Did you wash your hands? I'm Sam Whitehead, talking today with Ginny Levine, who studies infectious disease dynamics at Emory University. We're discussing what the transition from pandemic to endemic might look like. There's an, kind of an air of inevitability in your answers to some of these questions, which I find interesting because I think for so many people, it's so hard to imagine what the future looks like, especially if we do have this particular coronavirus still circulating. So. What could that mean for the ways that people have been living their lives for the last year? You mentioned vaccination. It seems like that's going to be part of the path forward. How about other public health interventions, distancing, wearing masks? What could that look like as we're living with a potentially endemic SARS-CoV-2? I suspect, so you, you were, we were just talking about the time frame for getting to this endemic state, which sort of most optimistically might be six months possibly more realistically would be another year or possibly two. I would certainly think that after that point, the degree to which society would choose to continue, you know, wearing masks and stuff like that wouldn't be so much because we're really trying to limit transmission of this pathogen as much as I think in some, like in some Asian societies, it seems like after SARS-CoV-1, like, it just became more normal to wear masks. And I guess that could happen, but I don't think that there will be any huge reason that we would be limiting the transmission of this particular virus long into the future. Kind of similar, if you sort of think back historically, like the 1918 flu, there was a ton of social distancing. I mean, it was different, of course, it was 100 years ago, but there was a lot of social distancing, businesses closed, and you know, within a few years, things calmed down, that strain of flu became endemic, it continued to circulate, and life went back more or less to normal. And I think that that is most likely what will happen here too. So what about vaccinations? I mean, there's been such a push in the last uh, few months here in the U.S. to get people vaccinated against the coronavirus. Is that going to carry with us into living with uh, an endemic virus? That I think is a bit of an unknown. My best guess is that the answer is no, that once we have the first, this round of mass vaccinations, and maybe if we have, you know, depending on what variants arise, 
maybe one more giant round of mass vaccinations. My guess is after that, it wouldn't be such a huge public health priority of these huge vaccination campaigns. Possibly, I mean, there's a number of paths forward for what vaccination might look like, and it will depend on a few different things. But I would kind of guess that the most likely scenario would be that vaccination would continue to be very, very useful for particularly vulnerable populations. Um, so the way that like elderly people often get flu vaccines for direct protection against influenza, I suspect people might continue to get SARS-CoV-2 vaccines for that. You just mentioned the flu and, and flu vaccination. I mean, is that a, a good analog for people to think just kind of broadly about what the future with SARS-CoV-2 could look like, just that we have a COVID-19 season? I think vaccine-wise, it could look like that. It also might look even less dramatic than that, actually. And the reason for that is that one of the... So there is a lot of similarities between the coronaviruses and influenza. They're both respiratory viruses. They have similar routes of transmission. But there is a difference from what we know thus far about the endemic coronaviruses and influenza A in particular, which is that flu A mutates very, very rapidly. So there's a lot of change in the parts of the virus that the immune system recognizes, which is why really the main reason that we get these updated vaccines like every single year, possibly. There's a suggestion that we get a flu vaccine every season. And that's because it changes, the, the virus changes quite rapidly. From what we know about the endemic coronaviruses, they certainly do change. They definitely evolve and there seems to be some response to population level immunity, similar to what might be driving evolution of these outer parts of influenza A, but not as rapidly as flu A. And that would suggest that if it were sort of similar in that way to flu, we wouldn't even need annual vaccinations, but maybe, you know, maybe you'd get vaccinated every few years or maybe like the endemic coronaviruses, it honestly would seem like such a not a big deal for anybody except particularly vulnerable populations that people wouldn't even choose to get vaccinated. But all of this obviously remains to be seen. You know, it all depends on the virus's evolution, both where it gets to in terms of how severe disease is when it gets to something more of a steady state of like a particular variant that is the main variant that's transmitting and after that happens, does it change as rapidly as flu A changes, such that we need to keep updating the vaccine every year like we do for flu? Or is it maybe more like the endemic coronaviruses or possibly flu B, where, yeah, it changes some, maybe it's worth updating every now and then, but not every single year. It seems like the kind of future that you're pointing out is maybe not so scary. The idea of an endemic coronavirus that, say, a young child might get infected with in the same way that they already do with other coronaviruses, and that provides them some kind of immune protection down the road. That's a, a world that is not so different than one we were living in prior to COVID-19 coming into our lives. Yeah, yeah, I feel like the future is bright and the present is much scarier. <laughs> I think that um, especially right now, you know, I, I keep hearing about what's going on in India and what was happening in Brazil. And I just think like, I, I don't see a doom and gloom scenario for the world with COVID-19, but I do see a scenario that scares me in the moment. 
the U.S. response and a lot of ways the global response to the pandemic has been pretty rocky. Would this have happened anyway, this prediction that you're making of what living with an endemic SARS-CoV-2 looks like, was that going to happen regardless of how we dealt with the pandemic itself? I think the answer is yes, that 10 years from now, things probably wouldn't be that different one way or the other. But I think that you're absolutely right. We had missed opportunities. And I think we're living in a moment where maybe not as much in the U.S., but globally, there are opportunities to both save people's lives, you know, people who are getting sick from COVID-19. If people can get vaccinated before they get infected, then we have the opportunity of saving lives. We have the opportunity of, you know, preventing the mass trauma that's happening in many places around the world from lots and lots of close family members getting sick and dying. The huge burden on healthcare workers of these totally overburdened healthcare systems. So yeah, I think the long-term picture is not so different depending on what steps we take in the interim, but the picture of the past year and the next year depend entirely on the choices we make right now. I would think that there's someone who hears this and thinks, oh, well, this is going to become endemic anyway, so why make such a big fuss now? But that's not the takeaway. No, no. It may be in the U.S. that we have gotten to a point. I don't know for sure. In some parts of the U.S., I think we've gotten to a point. We have very high-quality vaccines, and we've gotten some pretty high vaccine coverage. And as you said, we had a lot of transmission, which was associated with a huge number of excess deaths in the past year. Between all of those things, it may be that we are at a point now, and only because we pushed this vaccine forward so quickly and tested it so quickly and developed a really strong vaccine well, that we may be at a point where we could let up a lot of things and things could largely go back to normal and maybe we wouldn't have another huge outbreak. Like I said, I think that depends a lot on you know, this coming fall, there's going to be another respiratory virus season. And we're going to see what variant it is that comes through and whether the vaccines we have thus far and and prior infection, how protective they are against that variant. So I'm not saying one way or the other for sure, but it's possible that in a place like the U.S., we've gotten to this point. And these choices may matter less inside the U.S. right now, but that's not true globally. Thinking about the future in a time when over the last year, the future has just seemed so scary and unknowable at the same time. How does it feel to do this kind of work and to have your work exist in this kind of future space that everyone is just so interested to know what's going to happen? There's so many people out there who just want to know that, you know? (laughs) I sometimes feel vaguely like I'm like being a prophet or something, which is very weird. I don't mean to say that I'm like, channeling words from God or something like that. I'm just saying like, there's something that feels like a bit of prophecy and, and and I obviously don't know if it's right or wrong. So then the scary part is that I don't know whether it's right or wrong. And I try to just really focus on what do we have strong evidence for that the conclusions, the, the long-term predictions are very robust to a huge number of different assumptions. And then given that, What are the key assumptions that it does rest on? And then be really clear that that's what we need to measure 
to know whether this really is what's gonna happen. And I guess that's the closest I come to feeling like confident about something is like, these predictions seem robust and yet we know that there's things that could change that would make it otherwise and we really need to keep an eye on those things. Jenny Levine studies infectious disease dynamics at Emory University. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's also where you can leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary, but when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org donate and thanks.